Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, an extension of our adult Sunday school ministry and stories of grace. Pastor Brandon here, along with Pastor Steve. Hey there. And we are committed to utilizing this platform to continue our church's rich tradition of deep theological teaching through our adult Sunday school ministry. Though this unique season of following Jesus has not been without its share of challenges, we hope that you will tune in weekly to dive deeper into the scriptures as we hear from the vast array of teachers that we are blessed to call family here at Grace Church. Welcome once again uh, to the Grace Church podcast. We are so thankful that you have chosen to uh, join us in on these conversations and uh, different, uh, I'll say, lessons, just kind of a window into scripture or, um, you know, theological topics. Uh, but today I wanted to just make sure that you were aware as a listener that uh, tomorrow's episode will be our last of the uh, the fall Sunday school podcast as we have done it. it, it it's always possible that we could come back uh, and do some sort of podcast in the future, but uh, there is no specific plan towards that at this point, and um, we just are thankful for uh, what this fall Sunday school has been and uh, for the many who are have joined joined in for this. We'll call this season one. Who knows? Maybe there will be a comeback season two. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. But uh, but yeah, uh, myself, Pastor Steve, uh, and as well as Pastor Brandon have been grateful for this. Um, today we are joined in studio uh, uh, with uh, Phil Gardner. So uh, Phil Gardner is uh, is not has not been one of our uh, traditional Sunday school teachers. He is not participate in that way. I have heard Phil uh, speak, you know, at our men's shed time and uh, basically every single time that uh, um, I hear uh, this man speak, he encourages me. So uh, I'm looking looking forward to uh, looking at the book of Galatians with you, Phil. So uh, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be with you. And what I'd like to do today is to share with you uh, an overview of Paul's letter to the Galatians, at least as I see it. Uh, let's start with a little bit of background. What is Galatia? Where is Galatia? Galatia was a large Roman province in what is present-day Turkey. It's called Galatia because it was named after the Gauls of Western Europe who settled there in about 200 years before Christ. Why did Paul write this letter? Well, there was a controversy that arose as a result of Paul's sharing the gospel with the uh, Jews and Gentiles in Galatia. His first missionary journey was 45 to 49 AD. Scholars tell us you won't read that in the book of Galatians. <laughs> and following uh, his return to Antioch, Syria, uh, there were some Christians, some Jewish Christians, who perhaps had been converted in Galatia, perhaps had traveled to Galatia from Judea, and they had found out that the Gentiles that had been converted to Christ were not being required to obey the old law. They objected to this. It was their understanding as Jewish Christians that they needed to be circumcised as they had been and needed to keep the old law. 
Well, that's understandable. They had been doing this for centuries, but obviously the Gentiles had not. And some of these people then eventually uh, went to Antioch, Syria, which is where Paul and Barnabas were following the first missionary journey. And they brought this issue up with them. And they said, they stood up and said, no, the Gentiles must be circumcised. They must obey the old law. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp disagreement with them. They decided that they needed to go to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas and some others from that congregation, go to Jerusalem and discuss this issue with the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem. These Jewish Christians who brought up this issue were also there. They immediately stood up and said the same thing. No, the Gentiles that are becoming followers of Christ must obey the old law. Peter was one of the first to speak in that conference, and this is called, scholars call this the Jewish, or the Jerusalem Council, which occurred uh, about 50 AD, shortly after the first missionary journey, most scholars think. And uh, he spoke and explained to them, reiterated to them, that he knew that God had accepted the Gentiles as subjects of the gospel because uh, he had been appointed to share the gospel with Cornelius, who was the first Gentile convert. So Peter is basically saying, okay, we didn't understand that at first. Now we understand that the Gentiles are acceptable to Christ. We've gotten over that hurdle, and now we've got another one. Do we have to require them to obey the old law? And Peter said, I don't think we should tempt God by placing a burden on these people that none of us have been able to bear. James, the Lord's brother, spoke also, and he, he agreed with that, and he said, I don't think we should make it difficult for the Gentiles who are coming to Christ. So Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch. The church in Jerusalem sent Silas and Justice back with them to explain this situation to the Christians in Antioch, Syria. But of course, there's other Christians in Galatia who haven't been privy to all of this discussion and very likely were confused because of what they had been told. And that's why Paul has written this letter. He has written this letter to resolve this issue, to inform everyone what the conclusion has, has been. And this message that we are free in Christ pervades this entire letter. Immediately after the introduction in chapter 1 in verse 6, Paul says to the Galatians in this letter, I marvel, I'm astonished that you are so soon deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is no gospel at all. And that's true, of course. Gospel means good news. They had received the good news. The good news was that they were saved by the grace of God. They did not have to earn their salvation. They couldn't. And he says, this, that what you've heard is not gospel. That's not good news. You're being asked to obey a law, and those who are asking you to do this have never been able to do it. So how are you going to be able to do it? Now, I'm going to go ahead then in Galatians. I'm going to skip all the way down to chapter 5 in verse 1. If I had to pick out one scripture in Galatians about this freedom that we have in Christ, 
I think this would be the one. And I like the way the New Living Translation uh, words this. Paul says, so Christ has really set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Then if I would go ahead then into Galatians 5, 4, a couple more verses that are very appropriate. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And then Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, I know we're not in the Q&R, but I've got to ask this question. What does this have to do with me? I'm not a Jew. I have never thought that I needed to keep the old law in order to be saved. I'm confident that nobody at Grace Church thinks that. So why do I need to pay attention to this? But I think I do, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of us do, because some of us had been raised in fellowships where we gave mental assent, at least, to the grace of God. We're free. The price has been paid. And yet, there was a subtle, unwritten uh, understanding that our salvation also depended upon what we do. Our good works, our sacrificial giving, and certainly our faithful attendance at worship. Now, this is clearly not true according to what Paul is telling the Galatians. He said to them, and I'll repeat, Galatians 5, 4, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And then I would like to continue with Paul, but I'm going to go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and this is very familiar. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And I would like to make a couple of comments here by, uh, from the author Riken. And he says, and I think this is good wording, he says, Galatians is a letter for recovering Pharisees. Well, who is a recovering Pharisee? A recovering Pharisee is someone who thinks what God is going to do for him is what he has done for God. Those who fail to understand that God's grace cannot be earned, it's freely given. We don't have to earn it. The price has been paid. Riken said this, When we reject our own righteousness to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we become former Pharisees. We former Pharisees have a problem. I'm including myself here as a former Pharisee. We have a problem. It is hard for us to give up our legalism, our attention to rules. We understand that nothing we can do will earn our salvation, but we still try. I like what Chris Arvin said recently. Christianity is not what we do. It is what has been done for us. Galatians has been referred to as the battle cry of the Reformation. It was highly influential in the life of Martin Luther, who, of course, was reacting against the work-oriented approach of the Catholic Church to salvation. Galatians has been called the great charter, of Christian freedom, 
the Christian Declaration of Independence, the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty. And Riken says, yes, we have Christian liberty, and liberty has two major enemies, legalism and license. Legalism, law-keeping, rule-keeping, that's how we're saved, by keeping all of the rules. We just, I don't know, if we, uh, Galatians 2.16 says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. And I said before, none of us thinks that we have to obey the Old Testament laws, but we've been convinced that there's a lot of things that we are required to do. Legalism, and then license, freedom to do whatever we want. Legalism demands responsibility without freedom. License demands freedom without responsibility. Now, is it true that because of grace, I do not need to be concerned about my sins? That's not true. Jude, verse 4, condemns those who would pervert the gospel of Christ into a license for immorality. And Paul said to the Galatians with this question, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? So how do I ensure, how do we ensure that our freedom does not become a license for immorality? And Paul tells us the answer to this in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? The English word walk comes from the Greek word peripateo. Another English word that's translated from peripateo is peripatetic, which means going from place to place. What's the implication of that? To me, the implication of that is that we should not go anywhere without the Holy Spirit with us. We are not going to defeat legalism and license without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We must be submissive to the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to ask this question. What must we do to ensure salvation? Now, that sounds like a contradiction. We've just spent 10 minutes saying we don't earn our salvation, and there's nothing we can do to ensure it. It's been provided. We said that the enemies of liberty are license and legalism. Legalism, we know we cannot earn our salvation. License, but grace does not give us impunity from doing whatever we want. My conclusion is this. Knowing that I cannot earn salvation does not free me to do nothing. Why was the one-talent man condemned? Was he condemned because he didn't gain two talents or five talents? No, he was condemned because he did nothing. And I'll go back to Paul in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace. We cannot earn it. And that says that very clearly. And we're very familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But I don't think we often go on to 10 
And 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, or God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The verb there is do, and I think that's important. So let me, as we close here, let me read a couple of uh, quotes. First from John Stott, Christianity is not simply something we know, it is something we do. And we cannot ignore what James says in James chapter 2, 17, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I think what James is doing here is defining faith. Faith is not just mental assent. James is saying faith is active. James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Here's a quote from Dr. Stanley Toussaint, Dallas Theological Seminary. Grace alone saves, but grace that saves is never alone. A commentator by the name of Hendrickson says this, The fact is that though good works are non-meritorious, they are so important that God created us in order that we should perform them. Good works are the fruit of faith. And I fully agree with what Jonathan Farrell said yesterday. What we bring to our salvation is Jesus Christ and nothing else. So finally, let me say this. Let us rejoice in our salvation, freely given by our gracious God, And let us seize every opportunity to honor him by being all that he wants us to be and doing all that he wants us to do. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil.